Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate abner mares is a world champion boxer olympian sports commentator and most importantly dad to two little girls Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and man that he is. They'll chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's American dream, and being a husband and a girl dad, which is pretty rad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Your host is always Brandon, joined by Nick and Dan. We're going to be doing Chelsea away to Manchester United match review, and to help us is our favorite goal correspondent, Naz. How you doing, man? Welcome back to the pod. It's, it hasn't been that long, but you know we we always like to have you on for the United special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know a bit about both clubs, and yeah, I mean, it's going <laughs> to be on regularly with you guys as well now. It's getting more and more regular, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping we build a good chemistry. Lampard's talking a lot about chemistry, and maybe we can build a even better chemistry than we already have, which is already excellent. Well, I tell you what, the best way to get into that, obviously, Nick, Dan, gentlemen, Nick, you're traveling, I'm traveling. It just goes to show that that no matter what formation we're in, we're, we're here together. That is correct. I'm in Nebraska. You're in Milwaukee, right? Correct. So we're all over the place. Um, however, unlike Lampard, we're choosing to play a, black, a back four today, which is nice. <laughs> and look at us. We got four of us ready to roll. Naz is definitely going to play left back a little speedier. So there we go. That's what that's what we have going on, folks. We are committed to the cause. The consistency is key. All right, Dan, before we get into a lot of the other stuff, the three-word match review, which has really taken off, I scrolled through some last night. You picked out a handful here. What what did you find? I did. I got I think I got some good ones here. So our friends down in Austin, Texas, the Austin Blues, where the Germans? That was a nice one. Our friends on Sacramento, the Capital City Blues, who I think are now allowed to socially distance in their pub, which is good for them. Mendy Silva, crucial. Friend uh, Ollie Glanville with the 100% man. Uh, Brantley had pragmatism over adventure. 
Mm-hmm. We had Brian Stout with We Played Today, question mark. Mm. <laughs> uh, Sammy Curley with typical Atkinson performance, hashtag VAR fails. Uh, our boy Ardale Hale with the VAR, what headlock, question mark. And then Zach with a ode to Antonio. I think those are the ones that stuck out to me as being being a step above, one step beyond. Ode, ode to Antonio won it for me late. I think that was a really good one. Yeah, I saw a little bit of the Antonio Conte uh, shout. Suffer ball, sorry ball. There were, there were yeah. a couple of interesting ones in there. A lot of many I mean, praise, of course. As, as Rightly so. Him and Silva, definitely at the top of my list. I put sacrificing for progress. To me, I think that that's the obvious uh, plan. Uh, there's been a... a um, a definite uh, a switch on purpose, right? Lampard has definitely made made this choice. Uh, but Dan, what did you have? Uh, so I went with Chelsea's identity crisis oh. because I think that Chelsea don't necessarily know what they want to be at the moment, and it's a bit of a seesaw of results. So you know that's uh, that's where I'm at with it. Nick, I went with arbitrary headlock analysis. Arbitrary <laughs> is a a phrase that my buddy Drew Clausen coined yesterday as he was watching all these ridiculous bar decisions. Um, but we'll get into it, Naz. I mean, headlock analysis, uh, something I didn't think I'd be talking about today, but please go on with your three-word match review. Yeah, um, I would probably go with game management mode. It's something I used on goal. I think like it's almost like, uh, you know, I agree with Dan's approach. There's still an identity crisis, but... Feel like uh, it could be a split identity problem as well, and uh, this one was game management mode. Yeah, definitely out there to take care of the defensive responsibilities before we do anything else, and we are going to talk a lot about that. Um, the quest of two extremes, as, as Naz put it, praise for Tiago, and where was slash is the midfield, uh, and then we can maybe touch on VAR if we have time at the very end. But uh, some thank you, some some gratitude that we owe to you people out there, Alan and Kellen. Huge thank you for joining us on Patreon. Really excited to chat with you guys on Discord. And Dan, over to you for the pot Apple Podcast five star reviews. Yeah, you know, I, I think the people are taking it easy on me. And you know what? Nick made the joke about how I might mispronounce all the names still. And look, that's going to happen. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we went from having 46 to having a, a fewer here. And that's OK. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to talk for 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes uninterrupted. Brandon knows this. So, you know, Jay Scott and uh, Colby Law, we appreciate you guys. Leave us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. But please bring them on. I'm ready to read some more. So drop a five-star review at Apple Podcasts so we can connect with more listeners, find more Chelsea supporters who are looking for a great podcast. Um, and, you know, they'll eventually find us instead, but we're going to be happy that they got here. <laughs> um, and then Nick, yeah, Nick, over to you. Yeah, last thing, uh, per usual, in this, uh, in this late kind of election season, just go vote. Uh, I made my plan to vote tomorrow early and in person. I know that Dan uh, did his by mail. Brandon, I'm sure, has some sort of plan conjured up. Uh, I have my ballot on my desk. All right. So he's ready to go. So just we're doing it. You do it. Just do it. Thank you, Nike. Who knew that they were huge into voting? But we're going to take it and run with it. All right. So here we go. Uh, Match review time. Manchester United in the Premier League. This past October 24th, 2020 at Old Trafford. Uh, score predictions, swing and a miss, no goals again. 
nil-nil draw, no score predictions were correct. I was doing a quick hit on Premier League uh, Premier League TV on Friday, and I confidently assured everyone that it will not be a nil-nil goalless draw. Confidently nailed it, and uh, I couldn't be couldn't be happier with the way this played out. So, uh, <laughs> Dan, run us through the lineup so we can get into this one. Yeah, so we had uh, Mr. Mendy between the sticks. We had, which Nick actually correctly called the back three slash back five situation. So I will give him an opportunity to gloat later about that. Thiago Silva, Kurt Zuma, and Cesar Aspilicueta as the back three. You had Jorginho, Conte, Chilwell, and Reese as kind of that four. And then you had a forward grouping of Christian Pulisic, Timo Werner, and Kai Havertz. Substitutes unused included Billy Caballero, Antonio Rudiger returning to the bench for the first time in a while, Kovacic, and Olivier Drew. And then you did see appearances from Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, and Hakim Ziyech as our lineup. Okay, stats, and then I have a question for Naz right away. Uh, Chelsea with 50% possession, uh, six shots, one on target to Manchester United's 14 shots, four on target. Um, passes, touches, essentially the same. Our 17 tackles there, 13, 24 clearances for us, 20 for them. Six corners for us, nine for them. Um, one caution for us, three for them. Six fouls conceded, eight to them. Naz, when it comes to lineups, and I'm looking back at what Chelsea FC put on their Instagram. They put the 4-3-3 with Reese James in the central mid. Um, it came out as a 3-4-3, 4-3-3. Why is it so hard when Chelsea announced their lineup that we have no idea what the formation is? Like, how is it such a disaster? Well, they're, they're very versatile in, in theory. And I think Lampard's also not, uh, you know, he's not scared of playing players out, slightly out of position, you know, like Pulisic playing on the right wing against Sevilla didn't really do the job. And then he switches to left and he's brilliant. So, you know, I never know what wings people are going to play on. For example, they seem to be way stacked with the sort of left wingers who cut inside. That seems to be Chelsea's thing. And then, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I did think for a second it, it could have been, uh, you know, 4-3-3. But then, you know, I, was, I wasn't I wasn't as smart as Nick. I didn't predict the uh, back three at all. Oh, I thought it was going to be a four-two-three-one, the the primary formation, and then uh, yeah, I think when I saw the lineup, though, I think I, I kind of called it, and and you know, uh, you know, when you heard you heard Frank speak after the game, he sort of said that look against Man United, we got caught on the break, even though we dominated games. Um, so you know, I think he sees this three-man defense as as a sort of formation that he can control the game a little bit better, especially things like transitions, counter-attacks, which is where Man United hurt you with pace of Rashford and, and a few other players as well. So I think that that's where it came in. But yeah, the lineups can be unpredictable. Actually, this season, they're a bit more predictable than last season. Last season was tough, man. Yeah, it was, again, 56 different lineups in 60 matches. Uh, Dan, expected goals. This will really get some people excited. Yeah. So Tuesday, the let's just go back in time. To the uh, the you know the first nil nil in uh, Frank Lampard's history with Chelsea, which was a point four three versus a point two against Sevilla, and now we flip forward to Saturday, second nil nil draw in Chelsea's history under Frank Lampard. Man United with a point seven three, and then Chelsea with a point two five expected goal. So you know just again, barely above, you know, barely. Close, not even close to the one goal for both combined. 0.98 between the two of them. Not great. Not Good great job, Brandon. 
Good job with your prediction on Premier League Fan Zone. Dooming us all to a nil-nil draw. I, I, look. Take responsibility. United had given up up 12. (laughs) Chelsea gave up nine. I mean, the writing was there. (laughs) This was not going to be nil-nil. So as we jump into the first one, talking about the quest of two extremes... Uh, Naz, your match recap on goal.com talked about the quest of these two extremes, the pursuit of defensive discipline at the expense of attacking abilities. Sir, the floor is yours. Let's dive into the challenges Lampard is trying to address and kind of where you, you see this team between those two extremes. Yeah, well, I think the problem has been, you know, when we look at the games like against Southampton, which was the last game where Chelsea didn't defend well. I mean, they played brilliant attacking in that game. Like some of the combination play was sensational in the first half. But second half, you just saw Southampton had a lot of space to work with. It felt like Chelsea had no midfield. It felt like Southampton could play through Chelsea and they were just running at the defenders. And then you had individual mistakes on top of that. And it just felt wide open. Um, and it was too easy for Southampton, really. Um, and, and then, you know, Lampard kind of thought, um, you know, Chelsea, how did Chelsea defend? They play a bit like Liverpool in that they defend through a press. They play high up the pitch, they press, they play a high defensive line as well. Uh, and that's what we used to see in Chelsea play. And, um, you know, for Liverpool, it shows you that it's high risk, high reward football. And that's what Chelsea were trying to do. Now, in the last two games, they've gone a bit Jose Mourinho. Um, in that they've stopped pressing. Um, part of the problem with pressing as well is that you can win the ball, but then you lose the ball straight away and you're vulnerable to a transition. So a team with pace, like a Man United, can really hurt you. So it's not just the way they press, but it's the way they use the ball and the sort of areas they get the ball in as well. So they've kind of gone to a, a an old-school Mourinho approach where they sit a bit deeper. It's either a mid to low block. They don't really press until the team sort of enters a certain area. So, you you know, when you saw Sevilla just knocking the ball about with ease, that's because Chelsea were letting them. And, and you know, they've also got pace. Chelsea can play a counter-attacking football because they've got Werner, they've got Pulisic, and Havertz is much quicker than a lot of people give him credit for. So they can be a counter-attacking team if they want to be. Um, and they're kind of going down that approach a little bit and being very cautious. And they played two different formations in the last two games, but the approach was exactly the same. It's the difference between formations and football philosophy. And Lampard's kind of, you know, changing formations, but the football philosophy in the last two games has been the same, you know, Sevilla, Man United, but then it's been radically different um, from the, uh, you know, Southampton game as well. So uh, hopefully that kind of explains what Lampard's doing or trying to do there. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Naz, and that the formation and this, you know, we kind of mentioned in the beginning, but this whole seesaw approach is really interesting that it took <laughs> it took some really unique responses to a, a West Brom game where Chelsea have to come back from going down Southampton, where we show the ability to score and score with a level of ferocity, which is appreciated. The Southampton match where we also showed again that we can score and now we flip to this game, and really, it was only Christian Pulisic who put a shot anywhere near David De Gea for the day, and didn't even really bother him. Which, you know, I I think is the. It almost feels like we've indexed too far to the defensive side, and I guess when you've given up the you know nine goals in the you know in, in a significant period of time, now I think Liverpool is the the team with the most goals conceded this season. Uh, just just barely ahead of uh, some of the other teams that are typically in your top six. But it just, we 
it's so hard to watch Nick, this team trying to almost struggle to find an identity. And I think what made it even worse is that we were going up against a side that was trying to find their form the same way. And so maybe this wouldn't have been as almost turgid as, you know, times as a match, but it also came against the Manchester United side that was also struggling for their identity, wanted to stop conceding goals, and were happy to do almost the exact same thing that we were doing for the majority of the match. Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you break this down in, in the most simple of terms, neither team wanted to lose this game. Um, and, uh, you know, you could obviously look at the stats that Brandon pulled up earlier, shots and shots on target. Clearly, United had more opportunities, although you could, you know, with, with the saves, you'd question the, you know, maybe accuracy of the, of the opportunities. But... Um, yeah, I mean, this this was not a good offensive performance from Chelsea today. Um, talk about the formation here in a minute, but just from a pure passing and moving the ball at field perspective, Brandon, there was nothing doing, really. Um, the team couldn't figure out how to play through the middle. They couldn't figure out how to play through the wings for a large majority of the game. There were a couple of periods of, of Chelsea possession dominance where we were in or around Manchester United's final third um, for extended periods of time, which were better but not super convincing if i'm honest and you know I, I think lampard looked at this game as as you can't lose it and if you sneak a win better definitely definitely going for a more defensive approach i think he must be tired conceding so many goals in a match right i think he's finally said okay you know what this needs to be addressed um we're gonna have a mentality shift a tactical philosophy change in this team and it's gonna come at a cost i think you know what a lot of people online were looking for a silver lining saying well it's much easier to score with a rock solid backline than it is to kind of clean up goals with a leaky backline if you're scoring so uh, i would like to think that as we continue to throw around the the pragmatic word about lampard and if he can be pragmatic in these situations this is um, probably a step in that direction if you want to look at it that way. So um, I, again, I think there was a, a conscious decision they made. I, I, I thought that the, the midfield did a good job of breaking United's press and then finding the switch. I felt like N'Golo Kante, Jorginho were able to uh, find Chilwell or James on the opposite flanks and then were able to kind of run at them. Um, but again, it, it wasn't as effective, I think, uh, you know, going forward, but that was part of the game plan. So, um, you know, look, the the defense worked. Mendy worked, all right? Uh, Squawk of Football tweeting, Edouard Mendy is the first Chelsea goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet in each of his first two league starts for the club since one Petr Cech in 2004, following in the footsteps of a club legend, dot, 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 and a teammate, wink face, because, yes, Petr Cech is on the 25-man Premier League squad, which was wild for me and i still don't think i've comprehended it uh and then uh william hill betting had that edouard mendy has kept three consecutive clean sheets for chelsea against crystal palace Sevilla, man united eric lamella is the only player to score against him which hurts my heart for a lot of reasons because i don't like him as a as a footballer don't know him as a person but uh he's a bit of a mug on the pitch so uh look uh i think a, a quick quick uh praise for mendy naz he's brought in a lot of confidence until he almost passed the ball into his own net yesterday uh but overall um you know you look at like his fifa score only being a 77 and reed shoot asked me on on discord he's like is mendy a good goalkeeper 
or are we just overhyping him because of how poor Kepa's been? And I think that he's a, a, an adequate goalkeeper, right? I think he's a good goalkeeper. He's not uh, world-class or phenomenal or anything like that. But that just shows you kind of what we've been missing, I think, so far. Yeah, well, you've got to remember, I think, yeah, he's been overhyped. And you've got to remember that the, the bar was set so low with Kepa. And I'm really, I really feel bad saying that because... I know he's a good guy. He's very professional. He wants to do well. And uh, he he is a good goalkeeper or has been in the past. But the bar was set so low after last season that, um, you know, Edouard Mendy, um, you know, really had quite an easy run, really, coming into this team. And actually, um, the Man United game was probably the moment so far. I think that, you know, people have been over-celebrating a lot of his actions in goal so far this season. But against Man United, that save from Rashford right at the end. I mean, even the one that, you know, Rashford was through on goal and he saved it with his legs. I thought both of those saves were absolutely fantastic, especially the one in the 88th minute. I think it was, you know, far post. Um, not many keepers would have reached that. Um, you know, he read it really well. I think that certainly, you know, with Kepa's save percentage, what it was last season, um, the second lowest up to recorded, um, you know, since since they started taking the data of save percentages, I think he would have struggled to save that. So, um, yeah, certainly, you know, you could say that it was a, a point earned from Mendy and also, you know, Thiago Silva as well as a sensational block on Cavani um, and generally just a good performance from him too. So, yeah, definitely a positive start. Yeah, he's not world-class yet, but that's why players come to Chelsea. They come to Chelsea to become world-class and and he's, he's arrived on that path just like Kai Havertz has. He might be much older than Kai Havertz, but as a goalkeeper, you can still improve well into your 30s. You can maybe reach your peak at 35. So, um, yeah, that's why, that's maybe what we will see with, with Mendy, really. And um, I think that experiencing it at this level, he's just so happy to be here as well because he was unemployed six years ago. We spoke to him before the game and he came across so well, like, um, you know, the mentality of him. He's not scared to put himself in the spotlight. A lot of charisma, a lot of personality. Frank likes those kind of characters. He's a big character. Czech mentioned his character when they signed him as well. Um, so that's been a big part of it. And and when you look at Kepa, he's got everything, but maybe not the character. Um, and, you know, the, the, the character that you get tested with becoming a Chelsea player, the level of scrutiny we're providing on these players right at this very moment is something that can be hard to deal with when you've got when you've had an awful performance. So you need that and you need to fall Loves back on it. that in tough moments. And and Chelsea needed Mendy against Man United and he stepped up and he did the job and and that was a massive part of it. And maybe it's a good thing for Chelsea fans to see a goalkeeper actually earn a point for the team because Kepa's rarely done it, unfortunately, and and that, I include even the Sari era where he was much better than he has been under the under Frank Lampard. It's a, been very interesting, and I think it's refreshing. It would be the way that I would describe getting to watch Mendy and goal. Someone who just you know, Brand, Brandon enjoys when Nick and I make comments about goalkeepers and what we like about their performance Loves it. because. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think the. The coming out on, on Rashford and the block with the foot early into the match was fantastic. I think that was such a, a great initial save and got us super amped, super hyped for what he did. And I, I would agree with the assessment that he absolutely earned Chelsea the point. Because if another keeper, whether it was Kepa, whether it was Willie, uh, and either of our two other keepers, I'm not going to include Petr Cech in that because I, I still think we will not see him play this season, even though Brandon disagrees that I, I, it was a point earned and otherwise we probably would have lost this game. And so 
you know, I think in that regard, Nick, you know, Mendy for me gets, you know, it, it definitely was my man in the match, you know, just heads, heads and tails above everybody, not just in physical stature, but his performance for the day. I mean, that, that counterattacking chance that Rashford has is 100% a goal if Kappa is between the sticks. I mean, it just is. That that kick save, that reaction save was was beautiful. Um, I would agree with Naz that the the 88th minute goal is, is likely in as well. Um, and again, you know, we, you know, we had a, a group chat with Mike Ryan going and, and he pointed out a goalkeeper that can win you a point is valuable, right? Like it's, you know, it takes, it takes everybody um, in a season like this. So I'm really happy for him. He looks really confident, you know, except for the one, uh, you know, kind of heart in mouth type of, uh, performance or, or a back pass to Tiago Silva that went dangerously close to the back of the net. And that was, that was difficult. But after that, he really turned it on. And, and maybe that speaks to his character, right? Because he almost had a incredibly dire screw up and came back and was firing on all cylinders after that. I think we are making progress. I think where we're at right now versus kind of where we thought we'd be, um, I thought it was wild that we were in sixth and United were in 15th going into this because it was hyped up to be much different. Um, and weirdly enough, I think that the sentiments between the two teams also made it interesting. But um, Nick, I want to go to your eye test. But real quick, I want to take uh, our, our ad breaks so we can get into that. Uh, and then we'll be talking again about Tiago, uh, the midfield, and maybe even a little bit of ours. So thanks to these financial sponsors for supporting the show. And we'll be right back. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. It's a lot. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Fellas, 2020 has made it hard for us to stay as hygienic as we should be. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped have made it easy to turn your bathroom into your own private salon. Manscaped is on a mission to change the grooming game with their below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products, and they just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. The Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with advanced skin-safe technology, which helps reduce grooming accidents. The waterproof technology also allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes. They also just released their Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, which is perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer. Their perfect package comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to complete your ball trimming routine. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, paraben-free, so you know your disco stick is in good hands. You're probably sick 
sitting on the couch with their hands on your balls anyways. Might as well keep them smelling fresh with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, an anti-chafing ball deodorant designed to defend against the below-the-waist odors. When that summer humidity hits, I use these to keep my balls from sticking to my legs. They even use the Crop Reviver Ball Toner that is spray-on toner for your testicles. Their Foot Duster Foot Deodorant is so good that it can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet. Use the code LONDONISBLUE and get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Basically, all I'm saying is if you love your package, all you have to do is go to their site, hit a few buttons on your phone, and it will change your life for the better. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code LONDONISBLUE and upgrade that salon with the luxury products of Manscaped. All right, Nick, we were just talking about Mendy, his influence, things like that. But a huge part of this uh, was the 3-4-3 formation. Um, you somehow pulled the rabbit out of your hat, predicted it. But how did it look? Why was this a point of of something that you wanted to cover off specifically on today? Um, well, I mean, we were addressing it earlier just with different patterns to play and things like that. But um you know, I, I predicted this because of the way that we played against United in the FA Cup semifinal last year. There were clear lines of passing that were opened up in that game that allowed Chelsea to have periods of possession without having to be ball dominant. And I thought that was a really interesting approach, and clearly it worked um, uh, as compared to the you know previous three times that we played United. So all of that kind of factored into my thinking, and – I think maybe what has to go back to the drawing board now as, um, as Chelsea look at this formation in the future is that unfortunately for, for me, this was not a smooth operating performance from a passing standpoint. Um, there were a couple of good passes. Yes. Don't get me wrong. There were a couple of switches that were great, but it was clear to me that United were much more prepared for this and that Chelsea did not have a real way to play through the middle the wings were getting really congested because United were putting more um, defensive cover out there than they, they did in the FA Cup semifinal. And to me, I think all of that factored into a pretty dire passing performance. So if Chelsea's going to use this again, and, and I think just for solidity purposes alone, they're going to look at it again for sure. They're going to have to figure out different ways to play through the middle or maybe some different personnel. Yeah, and, and when they played with the three at the back a lot of the time last season, Olivier Giroud was a huge part of it and, and mm-hmm. sort of like having that target man who brought people in and, and, you know, Mason Mount was very clever with how close he got to Giroud and William as well, similarly. So I think that that's, that's something really from the attack. There's nowhere, the ball doesn't stick at the attack. It's kind of like, it feels like they get the ball to the feet of Werner or Pulisic, uh, maybe Havertz, and they're trying to like run at the defence immediately, but you know they just get dispossessed or they get the shot blocked, and it seems to be like um, you know having three outlets and letting them do their thing, and and there's just no real cohesion or, or link-up play between the forwards in this system, and then the midfield like there's not much creativity. You've got the Jorginho lofted ball over the top that we saw them try a couple of times during the match, and it's worked great. It scored against Southampton with it, but um, yeah, I think that teams can read that as well. So there's not there's not a variety of threat really. It's kind of it kind of felt like against Man United that somebody had to produce something special or Man United had to do something dumb, which Harry Maguire did, and uh, they you know the the VAR didn't give it but that's what Chelsea were banking on it it wasn't enough really and I think that that's what we're lacking a cohesive um you know system of, of playing forward in this in this way and I think that also the players have been instructed to play it longer as well because 
it's kind of tempting when you have that pace up front and uh, you kind of want to hit it long sometimes to see if you can get in behind the defence. But, um, you know, it doesn't feel, it feels like a massive departure from what was working for Chelsea, you know. The only time you ever saw Chelsea hit it long before was to Giroud and he'd just knock it straight back down. Um, but now it seems to be a case of, you know, hit it behind the defence and it's kind of an identity change and, you know, I just don't feel like it's, really really connecting at the moment and 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 those passes are being found at all so um yeah it it is a concern um it is about cohesion and Lampard does talk a lot about relationships on the pitch um and maybe they're not there yet um even Werner and Havertz you know who played together before it's not really there yet so the the players need to learn how to play together and that might be why he's sort of persisting with Havertz he's like we'll keep playing him we'll keep playing him even though you know, I've not been that impressed with Havertz. Werner's been better. But, you know, you build relationships and you turn this guy into a player that everyone knows in the squad. Um, it, it's kind of, I think Lampard's kind of banking on that. Um, you know, playing players, getting them fit during games, getting them cohesive during games is the only way they can learn because there's so little time to train that they have to do it on the pitch. That's his message. We have to give Zayek his match fitness on the pitch and we have to get Havertz up to speed on the pitch as well. Oh, I was going to say the the thing that didn't work for me and I, I think is going to be the part that, you know, you look back and Nick made the comment about personnel is the Conte and Jorginho midfield, even partnered with Chilwell and Reese James, who could push the ball a little bit more fur- further forward. Their link up with the attack is really <laughs> was unfortunate in this game. I, I actually don't. Necessarily, I know if I agree that the passing lanes really opened up. I think we were fine, but once you got to the mid, you know the final third, there was nothing there. There were it was tight, it was compact. There was no balls necessarily over the top. There was not enough quick movement to take advantage of when Timo was on a run or when Christian was kind of putting himself forward. And when you look at this lineup, I would actually say so. You didn't have Martial in it. You had Fernandez, who you know I actually think had maybe uncharacteristically a p- poor performance by by his standard, and you, know, you were able to snuff out Rashford for the majority of the game. I actually think this is super winnable. Like this to me, I, I think lineup by lineup, this was the better lineup for Chelsea versus United's lineup, and for us maybe to not put more pressure on on De Gea and not put ourselves in a situation like I think if we had gotten that penalty, and we'll talk maybe more about the ruling on it. And I think it would have felt more like a gift rather than what we actually earned on the pitch. And I think that's the that's the real question is who are the who's the pairing going to be? And I, I think for as much as I maybe am not the the biggest kind of Kovacic fan, I think he would have done a better job bringing the ball in between the two boxes in this match relative to and kind of trying to link it up a little bit better versus some of the recycling that kept on occurring in the back. I mean the Jorginho to. Zuma, the Jorginho to Aspi, just it it slowed us down so so much for the majority of the game, and so you can never take advantage of when there was the opportunity to break of of Pulisic speed of of Timo's speed, and if you're not doing that, then you're really wasting what the the true benefit is of their game versus a Lindelof and, and a Maguire. I mean, you're always you're always going to lose it when you have a two man midfield versus a three man midfield. Uh, you have two players that sit back defensively. Um, you have players that, you know, are not comfortable going forward. I think you're going to get that. Their role was to literally dump it to the attackers and the wingbacks and let them go at it. 
and we didn't see much to Nez's point out of Kai Alberts. I felt like he was extremely tired, um, probably could have benefited having him more central versus out on the wing, but this was it. And Nick, as you look at the passing map here, um, Pulisic and Werner were essentially touching. Uh, they were right next to each other. I even said in our chat, I think that Pulisic is playing as a second striker more than anything. Uh, Chilwell, Reese James pushed up, Kai Alberts pushed up, and then you have the midfield. You have Conte a little bit ahead of Jorginho. Then you have Asvi, Thiago Silva, Zuma. So it's very much uh, a back five of Conte, Jorginho, Zuma, Thiago Silva, and Aspi sitting. And our attackers, Nick, were Reese James, Chilwell, Pulisic, Werner, Alberts. Right. Um, if you if you were to compare this to an Antonio Conte pass map from a couple of years ago, they would look pretty similar. Um a lot of passing around the bend, a lot of slow passing in the back just to kind of retain possession for a minute. Uh, the link between Jorginho and Conte kind of strong, but it's really Azpilicueta into Jorginho and then either back to Silva or back to Azpilicueta. That's like your your most defined triangle in the group. And then when you get up to Havertz, Werner, and Pulisic, there's no link between Havertz and Werner or Havertz and Pulisic that makes any sort of um, you know, kind of statement on this map. And that's probably what you're talking about here, Brandon, right? Is like, okay, cool. You're going to have Havertz playing this kind of hybrid wing, hybrid 10 situation, but that only works if he's making crucial passes forward uh, in, in a way that makes any sort of sense with the the kind of formation that we have going on. I, I think he and Reese James really struggled to get on the same page yesterday as to who was going to make the run down the wing Naz, who was going to kind of hold back and maybe make that second pass. Um, and it, it's clear that they they just haven't gelled yet. And that, you know, more to come on that front for sure. No, I think, I think Lampard's banking on the more to come factor really here. And I think that's kind of like as a manager of, you can do is gamble on the future because you're kind of playing a guessing game with what approach is the way forward. And I think that's what he's doing with his his forwards. He's kind of thinking, let's sort the defence out. Dan sort of, I mean, sorry, uh, Brandon sort of touched on it earlier. Let's sort our defence. But um, yeah, the forwards are just good. So they will be good. Um, and, and that's kind of what I feel like the approach is. But what kind of concerned me a little bit as well um, is that sort of Man United did try to turn the screw and he did try to change the game with substitutes. And maybe you say Man United had the better players on the bench. Um, but I agree with Dan as well that the starting lineups, Dan James, I don't really, I'm not really a fan of him from Man United. And I would have been celebrating as a Chelsea fan seeing him start the game. So, you know, you could probably, at some point, you know, you've got to roll the dice maybe. You know, you play for nil-nil for a while. Maybe you get to 70 minutes and then you're like, here's this spot in the pitch where we can maybe hurt them and you put an attacking sub on. I don't think Mount and Abraham were attacking subs really. I don't think they really changed the game. Um, and, then, and that's the bit that concerned me was that, you know, it almost felt like they were quite happy with the the nil-nil. And maybe, you know, you should be away from home at Man United. But I think that Chelsea are a bit better than that. And, and you know, there's, there's there's quality on that bench as well. It can change a the game. There's, you know, Hudson-Odoi who can do it. There's Giroud. Maybe there's a different way of doing things as well. And, and you know, maybe there is a point where you've got to change it. And now Chelsea played two big teams in a row and they've gone for the nil-nil. It's great. But the, the next games are against teams that they should be winning. So it's going to be interesting to see if, he, if Frank Lampard does roll the dice now. And he probably will. Uh, and it's interesting to see if that solidity stays while, you know, the attacking sort of uh, fluidity comes back as well. It'll be interesting to see if that works. So that's kind of where 
I think we're going with the next few games. There were some positive notes in this, Dan. Uh, I know that we kind of skipped over them in our script here, but Tiago Silva was great yesterday as a as a sweeper, as a distributor. He was excellent, I thought. Um, you, you take a look at the Chilwell-Pulisic relationship starting to develop, which is a very good thing on the left. They started to do some tricky interchanges, which I, I thought was great. Um, you know, th- there were good performances. And I actually, I, for all the guff that Jorginho gets and sometimes on the show to be fair uh, I didn't think he played poorly yesterday I just don't think that it was the link to the attack that we needed it to be if you're going to just play with those two in, in the midfield so um, I mean there there were some okay performances you know kind of written within that group if you're saying that Thiago or Mendy was the man of the match. Thiago Silva probably comes in second with the massive block on Cavani, a former mm. teammate, to keep the game level uh, near near the end of it. Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm not going to be upset at Jorginho for doing something I expect him to do and knowing it's not in his capability to do something beyond that. Because I, I do think you have to be comfortable trying to move the ball forward, playing a pass into to a tight space and, and trying to release our, our attackers. I mean, I think this is, you know, I think someone like Billy Gilmore can't come back soon enough to try to give Chelsea a progressive forward pass that can put a player into the final third that isn't just over the top. Uh, you know, I think there were some weird things yesterday on the pitch with the ball moving really really slow which was you know again from some of the rain it just felt like the ball was flat at times which was kind of i think hard and it did change the the dynamics a little bit i do think reese uh offered a lot going forward and you know if pulisic was maybe just a, a hair taller potentially could have gotten the end of one of his crosses and uh, converted a really nice opportunity and i think i want to see more of that more runs into dangerous positions because you know that he was really, it was him and Werner were the only two there. That's an opportunity where you want someone, you know, like a Conte kind of popping in, like whoever your midfielders are popping into the box as well to try to give you you an option. And yeah, I think also I, I, I'm kind of feeling like Brandon that the, I'm enjoying Ben Chilwell's delivery more than Hakim Ziyech when it comes to free kicks. And I, I feel like I want to continue seeing, I, I think maybe because Chilwell is a little bit better in getting up <laughs> Then, then uh, Ziyech is probably why there's a difference there. But I think if Ben Chilwell's on the pitch, I want to keep on seeing him take the uh, take the free kicks and take the corners. Look, Re- yeah, Reese James, I I want to see him in that CDM holding mid slot. Uh, is a bit of an enforcer, you know. Like you don't just go by Reese James, and then he put in a hard ta- a couple hard tackles yesterday in the midfield. Um, and it just got me a little bit excited of thinking, oh, I wonder what this could look like if he was just running around at the base uh, of a midfield, just literally not letting attackers and midfielders by. I mean, Bruno Fernandez is not going to challenge uh, a Reese James for a 50-50, <laughs> uh, but I bet he'll challenge a Jorginho, to your point, right? It's just different skill sets. Um, so I'm excited. And Naz, you had a wild stat, uh, at least that caught me off guard, is that Ben Chilwell, Ben Ch- Chili B left back slash left wing back has created more chances in the Premier in the league than any other Chelsea player this season with nine. This is despite playing just half of the games. So you're saying he's all right, huh? <laughs> yeah, he he has hit the ground running. Wow, he has blown me away. He has been such Same. a good signing. And it's so funny with Chilwell as well because you guys will remember 
the transfer window, which feels like a million million years ago, and it certainly does on social media. Um, but everyone who I, I I can't see any of the people who said Chilwell would be a terrible signing, um, you know, piping up on social media. But you know, I'm pretty sure in in June and July there was a lot of people saying he's not worth the money. Fifty millions, crazy man, all this kind of stuff. And now we're seeing a player who really is, you know, an absolute top player. He is just hit the ground running. I mean, England need him. The fact he missed those games was an absolute killer for England. Um, and and fullbacks somehow now are worth, you know, fifty million. Man City have about six or seven of them. So the fact Chelsea have one is fine. You know, Chilwell is that guy. Um, uh, and you know, there was other options. Regulon looks pretty good. Tellers looks pretty good. But um, yeah, for me right now, Chilwell's great uh, and standing head and shoulders above. And and also he's great defensively, which we've seen quite a bit of as well. So um, yeah, uh, creating all those chances is kind of like also a bit of an indictment on how Chelsea have been playing, especially in that that last game. Was that the wing backs were the creators? The midfield was nothing to do with creativity. It was all about the wing backs, and then yeah, the forwards were just kind of you know trying to get on the end of things or find themselves out of the game. You know when someone's like, don't at me, I feel like, Naz, you just came under a podcast <laughs> and like subtweeted me with that last comment about Chilwell. Because that was me this summer. I was just <laughs> like, I don't know if he's worth 70. 50, I can wrap my mind around. But again, you're just looking at these other options for less money being like, is this really the right option? And that is one thing I can't remember who said... But they're like, look, he's Premier League proven. He doesn't have to adapt to a new league. That is that worth 10, 20 million just alone? Yeah. And that point has been proven with this tweet of yours immediately. Is that in half the games, he's our highest chance creator just because he knows the league, he knows the teams, he knows the style, he knows what to expect, and he has settled so well out of all of our signings. It's it's like he's literally been there for multiple seasons. I'm impressed. I really am. Have we all issued our mea culpas on this one yet? If not, <laughs> let's, can, I, we, we all, I think we all looked at the price tag and the squad balance and the players that we needed to sign this summer and did not think that Chelsea were going to splash as much cash as they were. And I think we're making cuts and sacrifices in our own internal budgets to, to make this all work. And clearly, this has been a wonderful signing, probably our best signing to date. Um, you know, I think Mendy's going to give him a, a a bit of a uh, a run for his money just on on recent performances. But um, just looking at how he's adapted, and and we don't notice a you know a significant like to me like there there's no major standout negative points to him. It's incredible. We've we spent a fair a bit of time on this podcast and even in this episode and the two players of our massive summer spending spree that we spent the most time talking about are a left back and a goalkeeper. So that should tell you all you need to know about the last couple run of games and our inability to create effective chances for a two of the best scorers in the Bundesliga, uh, one of the best creators from the Eredivisie. <laughs> Just it's what what a wild turn. What a wild hey, for turn. up to me, we would always talk about the goalkeeper. Yeah, I know. Hand. All right, so. let's move on. Let's move on, Brandon. Yeah. All right. So bluntly put, VAR failed. Um. I, I think that we probably shouldn't talk about this in the sense of where Chelsea lost three points today um, because 
without VAR, that never would have been called anyways. And so it's just kind of the situation we're at. But as a higher level conversation, um, it is a part of the game. It is a part of how the players uh, play on the pitch because they know that they can get in trouble retroactively. Um, it is a part of the managers where, you know, a goal goes in, they run over to their tablet so they can watch it back and make sure nothing happens. Um, and it's something that we, we, that had a, had a big impact today, but I think we should also admit it's had a big impact this entire season. Uh, Naz, correct me if I'm wrong. The Premier League has handed over VAR duties to FIFA this season. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they've kind of no, they've kind of like more moved towards FIFA's um, so the standards. Premier League season, yeah, standards. But they they more um, moved that way because last season the Premier League just did their own thing, which is a very British thing to do. Is just do it your <laughs> own way, um, and then you know because we know better. Uh, it turned out we didn't know better, but then we're still having problems trying to do it the European way or you know the the worldwide way. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Um, and yeah, we're still having problems. Change the rules halfway through the season for handball. Um, so yeah, it's been a bit of a mess really in the officiating um, stakes. So this this incident at Chelsea Man United is uh, pretty much par for the course. It, All well, right, it's, it's wild though, right? Because in two in back to back matches, you had literally a WWE wrestling move uh, not given as a penalty, and then in the Liverpool Sheffield United game you had a tackle outside of the box given as a penalty. And it, it to me, just signifies, it, you know, when I, it signifies there needs to be a lot of change, obviously. But when I came on this podcast last year when they were instituting this thing, and I told you all that the NFL, it took seven years to get above 90% of the calls correct for instant replay. And everyone's like, no way that's going to happen here. You sure? Because, like, I, I think – these referees want to protect each other more than anything. And, and, and there's some like human element of that, that makes sense to me. I, I, I don't, you know, you, you wouldn't want to leave someone hanging out to dry all the time. Right. It doesn't, but that, that's what the tool is there for. The tools to, there to correct clear and obvious mistakes. If, if the Harry Maguire headlock suplex on as Quake is not a clear and obvious mistake. I don't know what is. And, it signifies to me, Dan, that like, you know, I don't know who's running the uh, the instant replay booth on most weekends. I know, I know there are you know match officials, but the NBC broadcast brought up: Do we need our best match officials in the in the replay booth now? Like, th- that's the wild thing. It's like we're getting so many of these wrong. Do we need to put our best and brightest behind the camera just to look at everything? It's funny to me because with a offsides rule they get down to like the atomic level and are looking at the se- separation just, just millimeters <laughs> yeah they're they're like oh my gosh you know the, his atom was uh one <laughs> step ahead of his and uh you know the electronic force pushed him away so we're going to rule him off sides whereas something that i would kind of deem is more of a clear and obvious situation where uh someone who even has uh needs maybe corrective lenses uh for day-to-day usage <laughs> i could have taken mine off and still been like yeah that doesn't look right and it, it doesn't look uh, accurate in the moment uh i think i'm watching uh the ufc fight uh somehow ended up in my feed and is not necessarily the premier league match anymore and so I I think it's just going to be something we have to deal with. I think it's something that, you know, I think Brandon rightfully called out that it is something that in this match, 
it would have been more of a gift than anything else. Like, yes, it was something that was unfortunate. You want to get it called the right way for a consistency standpoint. But, you know, we also didn't create any chances ourselves. And who knows if Aspie's kind of goal goes in. That's not the point, though. The, the point is you get the calls right on the field. And Manchester United have benefited themselves from quite a few of these going their way. And to me, it's, again, it's whether or not Chelsea win the match is not the issue here, right? It's just, did you get the call right? Chelsea could have very well given up a counterattack goal three minutes later, and it wouldn't have been, it would have been nullified. You don't know that until you play it out the right way, though. Mm -hmm. It just reminds me a bit of the Pickford one, where it was just like, you know, you know, Pickford on uh, Virgil Mm -hmm. van Dijk, um, and van Dijk was badly injured and stuff. So, yeah, it's just one of them that it was just wrong. And maybe it's because the referee doesn't give it in the first place. And then, you know, a v- like I think sort of Nick touched upon it, you know, for the VAR to change it, um, then it kind of makes the referee look like he made an error. Uh, maybe that's why it wasn't given. Um, Aspley quite, was quite chilled out about it after the match. He wasn't um, really hammering the referee, but Frank Lampard certainly was, and he wasn't happy about that one. Good. I'm all right with that. No, I get it. It's got to be It's got to be frustrating, uh, you know, for many reasons. It just, and again, it's, it's the application, I think, is the hardest thing to understand. The Rashford penalty call was looked at in depth. The... Maguire challenge on Aspie in the box was looked at and quickly dismissed. And it's like, you definitely saw what happened with Maguire and Aspie. Like it was very obvious what had happened. They deemed no fine, whatever. But the Rashford one, you, we all looked at him like, what, what are they looking at? Are there's like, they were looking for something and you're just so confused on the application and the time. Cause it's like, why are we spending a lot of time on that? And not a lot of time on this. And it's just all over the place. There, There's a couple of clear things here too, right? The first is the referee needs to use the pitch side monitor more. I do not understand why that is such an issue. Go look at it. If there's any doubt between you and the booth about what's going on, go look at it yourself on the, on the replay. What are you doing? That's what it's there for. It's crazy. They do it in the MLS for God's sake. I mean, like raise your standards by a significant amount is, is the point on that. And then I, I think there does have to be some sort of system set up to review these after the fact and just do postmortems on what the hell is going on. So everyone can learn and get better because again, I, as humans, I don't expect hundred percent perfection. That's not the point of this. I think the point was to clear up the ones that the referees were getting wrong consistently and you could argue for things like offsides, this it's made the situation worse. But for headlocks, it should be a pretty easy thing to figure out. And that's that's kind of my point. It's like we have to, if we want this thing to grow and to change and to be better, you have to institute rules and protocols to do that. And I haven't seen any willingness so far on that point. You need, you need the balls to tell the referee to go look at the monitor. And then uh, to sort of round the circle off, I think... It was very arbitrary that just because uh, Rashford got injured, just because he got injured, they were checking out the uh, replay again and again and again. And then you can almost like convince yourself that it's a penalty because you've seen it again and again. You're like, oh, well, he did make contact, you know. Um, and if they did that with the uh, Aspley Quetta one, then it could be given. And it just feels like, you know, um, the game flows and, and it's quite hard to, you know, look over replays when you're waiting for the next file. So I do get it. It's not an easy job being a far. But, like, it just feels very arbitrary right now. 
um, needs good resource. It needs, um, you know, all the help it can get really to improve. So yeah, difficult one. It's not been good at all this season, um, but it wasn't last season either. Yeah. So in wrap, the VAR point is being made because it's affecting the league as a whole. It's creating situations in the Premier League that us as fans don't like. I think that's the biggest point here is not that we're going to nitpick everyone and be like, oh, we lost a point here. We gained points here. It's it's not working like at large. We're not we're not at 80 percent effective. We're not at 70 percent effective. We're like maybe 50, 50 percent right now. Yeah. And that's nowhere close to where we need it to be. And it's it's affecting the league. And and this league has been a hell of a league this season. Right. Like the results that we've seen Villa over Liverpool, Tottenham United. Uh, we even see Southampton beating Everton right now. Uh, it's wild. Like this is I don't know how this league is going to shake out. It's going to be an adventure. But I really hope we don't get to the end of it. And we're like, wow, VAR really ruined like a, a cool story or like a reward yeah. for a team that put themselves in a situation to to win something. It's going to be crazy enough without VAR shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have See, this be a calming presence in the, right? in the thing. I called it United relegated, Naz. I called it at the beginning of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea are lucky that it's the first time in six games that they've got they've uh, had a bad VAR though. Like that's pretty good. That, that's <laughs> so, hey, that's not bad at all. And um, yeah, Man United had their own one. You know, that, that I thought that Lamella, a guy who's been criticising this pod, should have been sent off in the game between Tottenham. Hundred percent. So yep. there you go. They're like every team <laughs> can probably point to one. So now Chelsea are just in the club, which is cool. <laughs> as, as we're coming up on Thanksgiving, it was nice to see Martial do a little slapsgiving with uh, with, with Lamella. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Dan. Let's go ahead and wrap this one up here with uh, your man of the match because, well, what a layup you had in front of you. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I Naz and I were uh, yeah, messaging I, beforehand. I did a thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I definitely took a nap right afterwards and uh, did not run. Run the actual poll, but you know what? It was Mendy, so I didn't need to run it. It would have been, you know, 95, 96, 97% of people would have chosen that. A couple people would have been putting in votes for someone else like Silva. Uh, just didn't even need to do it. It was Mendy. Done. Easy. Got it. Zuma was also pretty good yesterday. I'm going to throw that out there. He was dominant in the air. I liked it. He was stepping in the midfield challenging, um, and it was fun. All right. So the table as it stands, uh, this is, again, before all the Sunday matches. I think, like I said, Everton are playing right now and losing. But as it stands, Everton at the top, Liverpool, Villa, Leeds, that is your top four. Everton. It's going to be Liverpool, crazy when they break away to Villa, form their European Leeds. Super League. It's going to be awkward. <laughs> uh, Palace, fifth. Chelsea, six. Leicester, seven. Arsenal, eight. And then just run down the table, you've got Wolves, Tottenham, West Ham, Manchester City, Southampton, Newcastle, Manchester United, Brighton and Hove, West Brom, uh, Burnley, Sheffield, and Fulham, the three teams looking to get relegated. And I watched a little bit of the Fulham match. They're bad. Like Not good. The, the only thing going for us having Ruben there is that he's gonna he's gonna get a lot of minutes and a lot of running and and we'll know kind of what fitness level if he can maintain a run of games, but Fulham, I like no offense to Scotty Parker, it's just not good enough chief no it's not so anyways um gentlemen i think that's going to wrap us up for this match review uh dan anything i missed that you want to go back quick and squeeze in or anyone you want to shout out 
No, I think we did a good job considering that we were able to stay awake and spend this much time talking about a nil-nil draw. So congratulations to us. Congratulations to Nick, to Naz, to Brandon, and to me. Pat yourself on the back, quite literally. <laughs> Nick, anything for you? <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, it, it was... It looked like the worst conditions to play in of all time yesterday. Oh, so miserable. Tough go there, but... Um, yeah, onward and upward. This this team has a lot of matches coming up, including the Champions League this week. So we have to get after it. Yes, thank you. Super, super helpful having you here, as always. Um, goal.com. Follow him on Twitter. Bio is in the link in the descriptions. Um, just a great guy, too, Naz. We appreciate your, your ability to come in and make sense of all this kind of craziness. So uh, keep up the hard work, man. It is much appreciated in the Chelsea community and beyond. I uh, appreciate it, guys. Yeah, just trying to provide some clarity and a stable head uh, to some of the madness that we see on, on social media. Uh, and, you know, just try and provide, you know, the news that I can as well. Um, been been an exciting time. It's a great season for Chelsea, isn't it, with all the new players and stuff. So, yeah, ups and downs. There's that's Chelsea. It's going to be exciting, right? Thrilling since 1905. We're really embracing <laughs> that one, to say the least. All right, that's going to wrap us up, Chelsea fans. Thanks so much for joining us, as always. Uh, you are the best part of it. Let's talk about it on social media. Uh, there's not a lot of time until the next match, but we have some time. So uh, we'll ta- we'll hit you guys up after that one. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.